This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention, I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash StarTalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash StarTalk today. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk. Neil deGrasse Tyson here, your personal astrophysicist. We're going to do cosmic queries today. Everything black holes in space time. I got with me my co-host Matt Kirshen. Matt, welcome back, dude. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm joining you from a, a, my family's spare bedroom in London right now. Oh, you mean your parents' basement where you live? That's exactly it. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I, I commute to LA every day from <laughs> from the basement where all my toys and games are. I, I knew you were full geek, but the full the whole story you're still in your parents' basement. That's it. You can, you can, That's you it. can confess that. To, you are you are in safe grounds here to admit that to us. This is no judgment yeah. podcast. <laughs> no judgments at all. Uh, good to have you back, and you're the host of uh, Sometimes Science? Uh, it's pro- probably Science, Neil. Probably Science. <laughs> right. okay. Probably Science, uh, on which I have been a guest. You have indeed. I have, and I enjoyed my time there. So, Matt, I, while I know a little bit about black holes and a little more about space-time, I don't count myself among the world's experts, but we have a friend of Star Talk who is, of course, that's Jana Levin. Jana, welcome back to Star Talk. Thanks, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, yeah, Jana, you're you're like a, a neighbor up the street from the American Museum of Natural History. Uh, you're a professor of physics and astronomy at Barnard College of Columbia, and it's just great to have you just a friend of what we do and a supporter of all of this. Yeah, I love being and, here. And, and, and to lend your expertise. You're not lending it because we're not giving it back. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're giving us your expertise right. on, on black holes, cosmology, uh, the space-time continuum, yeah. and all that goes on. with it. Uh, so just before we start off, I just want to alert people that in your spare time, mm-hmm. you actually uh, are one of the founders of a marvelously conceived project Pioneer Works over in Brooklyn, across the river, um, you you merge art and science in highly creative and imaginative ways. I just want to congratulate oh, you thanks, on Neil. even going there, and you've been and, and you've been at it for like years now. Yeah, right? I really appreciate that. Yeah, we we have a live programming where we feature scientists in conversation. You've been over. <laughs> We've had parties with you, Neil, and yeah, but, I, but you haven't put me on the stage. No, I was there to I'm like, waiting for the people, right time. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I have also been I, there and and not on the stage. They didn't want my expertise, <laughs> but I, uh, I I went to uh, yeah, yeah. Matt. You and I don't cut it. <laughs> not yeah, there, we're just, not there yet. We're good enough for the audience, <laughs> but not to actually do it. I mean, I think well, I'll get there okay. eventually, but I'm not so sure about you, Neil. I I, don't, I, I uh, I've got uh, some deep expertise to share. But I uh, have stuff. I'm happy to put you both to work. <laughs> Be careful what you wish for. So the big, the big project there has been lately broadcast, Pioneerworks broadcast since the pandemic, which is our virtual manifestation. It's Pioneerworks Beyond the Walls, where we cover art, science, music, tech, kind of multimedia extravaganza. 
Excellent. So now you can reach a far greater audience than who shows up in Brooklyn. All right. So, so, so Matt, you collected questions from our Patreon members. They they have exclusive access to our Cosmic Queries format, and everyone else gets to hear their questions. And so, let's. What, what do you have lined up for? I us? did. Well, I've got. This is like a grab bag. It's a grab bag of black holes and stuff. Yeah. Right? There's a, there's a really nice assortment of questions. I'm going to start off with this one from from Matthew Power, my kind of superhero namesake. That's uh but um <laughs> you're Matt Kirshen and this is Matthew it's Matt Power. Power. This is Power, Matt from okay. New Jersey who is car- also currently reading Black Hole Blues which is one of Jana's books. I've read that it's an excellent book and Matt is also enjoying it. <laughs> uh, but Matt says uh my question is if there were two black holes orbiting one another and generating powerful gravitational waves is there a possibility that a small object he says perhaps a ping pong ball could actually be carried away by the waves, thus making gravity a repulsive force in this particular case. Wow, this is like a surfing ping pong wow. ball. I love it. That's... I, 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 what do you I think, love Neil? It. <laughs> oh, I love the idea. So, because probably he's thinking deeply, because yes. if you're surfing on a wave yeah. in the ocean, mm-hmm. um, the water isn't actually moving. It's just going up and down, and you're somehow... Exploiting this fact, Isn't moving that right? with it, yeah. yeah. I, I think it's a subtle question. I, I've wondered about this, but I haven't ever really worked it out. I'm sure somebody might off the cuff know the answer, but definitely what you're doing in space time, if you're near those two black holes, is you're falling freely. We literally call it free fall. So you're falling freely on the natural curves in the space. So if those curves are changing, that's certainly going to change your fall. Uh, For instance, the Earth is falling around the sun on a curve, on a circle. And if the sun were to disappear tomorrow, the gravitational waves would radiate out, taking the time it takes until it reaches us. And then we'd go in a straight line as though the sun was gone, right? So in some sense, we are definitely moving with those waves. Uh, But thinking of it as like surfing, it's cool. I don't know. Right, right. If we're not, if we're not so heavy as the Earth, let's say, or mm-hmm. or something as responsive as a ping pong ball, yeah. wouldn't the waves, wouldn't the expanding gravitational wave from the disappeared sun or from mm-hmm. the collapsed black hole, will that have any effect on us at all to push us? I, How can a wave move out, but yeah. we can't now move with it? it? Yeah, I mean the 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 gravitational energy in the wave can be quite powerful, right? We, that the collision of the two black holes was the most powerful event human beings have detected since the detection of the Big Bang, right? And all of it came out in the gravitational waves. But actually, um, I think their effect is really quite weak. In the sense, you would feel the squeezing and the stretching as you kind of bobbed around on the wave, but I don't think it would have enough power to actually carry you along. But we also do know, Mm -hmm. I think the question was also about repulsive gravitational forces. And actually we do know that gravity can be repulsive. So for instance, the dark energy in the universe creates a repulsive effect on the expansions. The universe is expanding Things are getting farther apart because of the dark energy, and that's happening at an accelerated rate. Yeah, but you're calling that gravity, and when, are we allowed to do that yet? <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean? In what sense? <laughs> well, <laughs> you say, well, there's this dark energy, and it's it's actually the opposite of gravity. So are, are you legitimately calling it negative gravity? No, I'm not calling it negative gravity. I'm saying that when we think about curved space-time, that coming together is not the only possibility. Although that is with Newton's laws, in general relativity, Mm -hmm. when I think of uh, dark energy as a particular source for the way it deforms space-time, we see a very clear example where its effect on space-time is expansive. And- uh, Oh, wait, wait, I got a good answer. I got another good answer. I got, can I, can I, can I raise my hand? Jana, I'm raising my hand in the front row. You're the boss. You're the boss. <laughs> okay. Neil. Neil. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Jana. So it, just thinking about this more holistically, the very expansion of the universe is carrying galaxies in the fabric of exactly. the expanding space-time. So in a, in a way, we yeah. are moving, in a sense, mm-hmm. not through space, mm-hmm. but with space. And space is carrying. Oh yeah, we I know it's not a gravitational wave, but it's. Uh, yeah. I'll take it as something. It's sort of surfing, even yeah. if it's not. Yeah, 
That's excellent. The, okay. the dark energy is just a particular example of that causing yeah, exactly. the expansion right. in an accelerated right. way. But lots of things cause the universe to expand. Like the fact that it's full of light and energy in all directions causes the universe to expand. And, and I think you really hit it on the head, Neil. We are moving with the expansion of the space. We are not moving uh, with respect to our local area, right? So that is like the surfer riding the wave. Yeah, yeah. Cool. All right, Matt. Well, well, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to jump mm-hmm. from a question that is very theoretical to one that I, I know you have a good answer to because I know this is something you've both been asked before. Alexander Newhouse wants wants to know what is the universe expanding into? Mm. Yeah, Jana. Yeah, Jana. <laughs> wants to know that. Part. I know you've done this a bunch of times. <laughs> no, no, I just make stuff stuff up what I think <laughs> what I've read, but you actually work on these problems. Yeah. So let's hear it out of the horse's mouth. Well, uh, If let's take it as though the universe was expanding into something, just pretend, then we would be saying, oh, there's some distance the universe has traveled into this other space. But what we mean by the universe is the space. So there's really no logic to thinking of it expanding into something else. The universe is the whole space. There are um, uh, some relational possibilities that you can think of where the expansion of the universe is like a map of the universe, where we're only reading the legend between things as changing over time. But the map itself doesn't move into anything else. That's one kind of very strange relational way of thinking about it. But, um, but no, we do not need to nest the universe into another universe to have it expand. Okay, I get that. But, but, mm-hmm. who, what... Okay, so let's let's uh, let's up this game a notch. <laughs> what what conditions would what dimensionality, mm-hmm. what location, what what state of existence must one have to observe the entire expansion of our universe? Well, you okay? That's uh, from the outside. So there is there is no way to stand outside the universe. No, not really. But so, <laughs> but so what? <laughs> You're trying to disprove the existence of God with me right now. What kind of trouble are you getting into? <laughs> I don't think I really Nobody mentioned can God in that. Nobody but... and know the entire universe at one time. There's no way of... Yeah, who, who are you to say that you can't... There is not some platform, some vista mm-hmm. outside of everything we know and see that can just simply observe what's going on. Well, by observe, we mean collect particles and interact. And we do that through paths in space-time. So uh, if you want to literally be in a position where you're gathering light so that you can see the universe and deduce what's happening to it, you're really talking about interacting with something. And that requires that we be in the same universe. Now, I mean, you could fundamentally say... You're no fun. You're no fun. <laughs> well, so okay. I thought- <laughs> we could say things that I think are actually quite... Matt, she could have said, God is out there and he's watching us all, right? Or Santa yep. Claus, he knows when you are bad or good. And then roll credits. <laughs> <laughs> so the, um, the, it is interesting to put, push this idea and to say, look, these ideas about space being infinite or being finite or expanding, these are just ways of talking. We could also talk differently about the entire universe only as relations, only as interactions. And that's the only thing we understand, that interactions happen over a certain um, span of space and time. And there's no need to even think about geometry at all or to think about the universe as a space at all. It just appeals to our intuition. Wow. Okay. <laughs> You're looking at me like I've had this woman on the show many times. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, Matt, she's crossed, crossed over, over, and I don't, I don't know that they're bringing her back <laughs> at this point. Okay. <laughs> I mean, and we know that we're often fooled by these interactions. So right now, I have the illusion that you're a solid person, that Matt's a solid person, but really, you're mostly empty space. These are illusions that we cling on to to ease more easily comprehend the world, but we know that they're not. True. Matt yeah, is mostly a lot of people say that about me. I'm solid. <laughs> Neil I'm is solid. solid. Here, okay? <laughs> There's nothing going on in here. <laughs> no, no, so, Jenny, you're referring to the fact that atoms are mostly completely empty. Right. Yeah. And, and then, even if yeah, you look at fundamentally what 
what the fundamental particles are with atoms, we only understand them in terms of the way in which they interact with things. That That's the meaning of an electron, right. is the way it interacts with things. So in some sense, right. we're just these sort of lists of interactions. Damn, she got all philosophical. <laughs> that, that, that's making me very much... But quickly, go to the next question before well, this I, gets I, worse. I, because okay. you got so philosophical, I'm going to jump onto Scott Allen's question, because Scott from Arlington, who, who, by the way, gives the caveat that Scott is stoned right now, uh, <laughs> just, okay. Putting that right in there, and if Scott is still stoned trying to listen to these answers, I think we're we going to put him in some real trouble. We uh, should do a stoner version <laughs> of this show. <laughs> I'll host it and just get my mate. I mean, that's basically is my podcast. That is, that is probably side, which wow. is winging it. Um, Star talk for stoners. <laughs> oh my gosh, we get all the topics best best suited for when you're high. Oh my gosh. You know, Janet, we'll bring you back. That's going to be a show. I, I promise our audience that's going to be a show. I just okay? fall asleep. Right. It'll be a very boring show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, while you're eating potato chips. Yeah, okay. So, so Scott okay. says, is everything just a form of energy? Is time just a human invention? Combining the two ideas is what we call life and everything we can observe and understand with our limited senses and minds, simply a flow energy, constantly changing form. There is no beginning. There is no end. There is no past. There is no future. There is just the presence in whatever form of energy we can sense and understand with our mind. That is Definitely Scott's question. <laughs> I make of that what you will, professional scientist. Yeah, okay. Oh, you, wait, did you just give the answer and you said definitely and now yeah, move on just, to the next question? <laughs> I, I think the answer is yes and everything's fine right now. And <laughs> I, I, I just think he's definitely stoned. <laughs> no, yes. That is such a stoner no, but question. Let's, but let's think about this. Is, is how do, how, what confidences do, I'm going to restate mm -hmm. the question. What confidences do we have, Janet, can you and I offer as scientists yeah. that there is a physical reality and just, we're not all just perceiving ourselves in the moment. Yeah, I mean, what evidences do we have? I think you made it worse for me, man. The universe has meaning <laughs> and existence outside of our perceptions. Yeah, I mean, um, we're all, I mean, which one of us is the one perceiving? <laughs> Am I in your mind or solely, or are you solely in my mind? Or are we no, both in Matt's mind? Genius. Or are we both in Be Be Before Scott started, Before Scott started combining his, his ideas, there are two questions at the beginning that I don't, uh, that are more grounded in, I think, physical of theory. That is, is everything just a form of energy? Uh, and also, mm -hmm. is time just a human invention? And I think I think those two are questions that are potentially, yeah, more I, answerable. I uh, well, to deal with the first one, yes, I think matter and everything is a form of energy that interacts in wait, wait, the Janet, prescribed that's, ways. You just don't think that you know that, Janet. Be, yeah, be careful how yeah. you use the word think. Okay, like you think it might rain tomorrow, but you know matter is energy. Okay, right? It's true. We know that matter is definable. Thank you. Essentially, yeah, and um, and that is interesting. I mean, I think that's also related to this kind of tangent we went on, which is that what does it mean to have atoms in your body? What does it mean to be made up of atoms? Is it means that you have a certain amount of energy, and that those uh, particles interact in very prescribed ways. That's what makes an electron different from the positron, is just the prescribed interactions, if not their energies. So, um, so yeah, that's really all we are. It's beyond that to say what's real is, is again, part of the solution we have to cope with our perceptions of the world. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll pick up the second part of that question, whether time is just some kind of a human construct. Uh, with the help of Jan 11 giving us her insights into the universe on Star Talk Cosmic Queries. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery 
information. What's more, FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. I'm Joel Cherico, and I make pottery. You can see my pottery on my website, CosmicMugs.com. Cosmic Mugs, art that lets you taste the universe every day. And I support Star Talk on Patreon. This is Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson. We're back. Star Talk Cosmic Queries. Uh, I got Matt Kirshen as my co-host. Matt, how do we find you on social media? Uh, I'm Matt Kirshen on Twitter. I think Matt underscore Kirshen on the Instagram I very rarely use. Uh, Twitter is okay. the main place I am. <laughs> okay. And if you don't know the we'll spelling, just Twitter kind of then. get vaguely close and Google will find me. Yeah, okay. And we'll find you on Twitter then without the underscore because that's where you mostly That vote. is, that's me. And, and, and Jana, tell me about your social media footprint. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm more on Twitter, uh, at Jana Levin. Um, two N's, like Anna. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm on the Insta, same handle. Okay. Um, I sort of treat them a little differently. On Instagram, okay. I kind of post my personal stuffs, my personal business. <laughs> and on Twitter... Um, okay, we want to get all up in your situation. <laughs> we go there, okay. You know, uh, yeah, exactly. I, you know, not exactly what I had for lunch, but yeah. So, but Twitter, I have pretty serious conversations with people. If they want to ask mm-hmm. questions, I'm there. I love answering questions when I'm in the mood, at least, you know. Okay, very good. Very good. All right, so we left off. Uh, what's the name of that last questioner? So, uh, Scott, we, we left off his part of the question was, is time just a human invention? Yeah. So, Janet, the only thing I can say about time, is a quote I remember from Einstein or from his student, uh, John Archibald Wheeler, was it, uh, time is invented to make motion look simple. <laughs> have you heard that? I have heard it. I feel like it was Wheeler. Because he said lots of witty things. I yeah, also okay. mm-hmm. think it was Wheeler. Yeah, he said time yeah. is what keeps everything from happening at once. <laughs> Which is a good <laughs> All one. At once, yeah, okay. okay. Um, so, and just, just I got to throw it, throw it in yeah. here. Um, I first noticed the woman who would become my wife <laughs> in a class taught by John Archibald. Oh, Wheeler. wow. So, no way. I didn't know that. Yeah, we, we took the class together, wow. yeah. I was sitting in the back row. She was in the front row. So I, I, I don't, she probably didn't That's notice adorable. me, but I noticed her. Yeah. yeah. I can say we, I noticed her in the space time continuum <laughs> on the chalkboard. Right. <laughs> okay. So what do you have to say about his comment? Well, I think, about, I about definitely don't time. think it's a human construct. Um, whether time exists in this kind of block time model of the universe where the past exists, the future exists, every bit as much as left and right exist but we're confined on a particular path through this four-dimensional space where time is the fourth dimension. Um, that wouldn't be just human beings, though. That would be everything would be confined to that space. I presume my cat's death comes before it's, you know, after its birth, rather. And, you know, I just presume flowers die after they bloom and that those are um, things that are happening to everything in the universe. There are other models that time is sort of an not an invention of uh, the mind, but it's like it emerges from very subtle processes and that in some sense it's not fundamental. Um, 
But I think that, again, it's a very good thing to talk about. <laughs> so if we want to meet, we don't just specify a point in space. We have to say a moment in time. And it's very convenient that we all are able to find that moment in time and collect and get together at that moment in time. So that suggests it's not just a, a figment of our imagination or a human construct. So maybe I should save this for the stoner edition, but <laughs> if, if, you, if you could find a region of the universe where nothing changes, then time Absolutely cannot possibly true. have meaning. Absolutely. And in fact, there's, that's kind of a, you know, a death of the universe model that the universe will, everything that can fall into black holes will possibly, if the expansion doesn't dominate, and those black holes will evaporate into random particles. And then the expansion will just make it so that there's only one particle in the entire observable horizon that, you know, and that's disconnected from all the other particles. And so there will be no meaning to time passing. I mean, even for me to experience time passing, there has to be change, which is my thoughts changed, my breath accumulated. Uh, there's, there's actual measurable change that I experience as the passage of time. So that is true that we do have internal clocks, um, but they are very well aligned with our external clocks, making it seem as though there is something external and universal. Well, while we're talking about external and internal clocks, Jeff Johnson wants to know why does gravity or high speed cause an entity to move faster through time? Oh, uh, I see the question. Time dilation is the question. Yeah, why does time... So... Um, but first, first he got it backwards. Mm -hmm. So gravity slows down time, not speeds it up. Yeah, so, so it doesn't it actually yeah. slow my experience of time. So my experience of time, if I'm standing near a black hole, is exactly like very ordinary. <laughs> my nicely made watch that I had once synced with my friend back at a safe space station is working perfectly well. It's still matching the number of breaths I take. Time seems to be passing completely normally. Your heart rate, everything. My heart rate, everything is absolutely normal. I don't get any benefit out of this dilation. The dilation is only relative to somebody far away. And to somebody far away, I look like I'm moving slowly, like I'm breathing slowly, like I'm aging slowly, like my watch is ticking slowly. So it's only uh, relative to them that it looks odd. But in my experience, it's quite normal. I think the deeper question is, why does this happen? And we can think of both gravity and moving quickly as creating rotations between the space times of two observers. So if one observer is, thinks that this is left and another observer is facing them, they understand that they're going to disagree about which way is left. They're not surprised, but they know they can just rotate their systems and then they'll agree. Right. So in some sense, as you go closer and closer to the black hole, it's as though you're rotating in space-time. So some of what you were calling space is folding into some of what your friend was calling time. And that leads to time almost as though you're rotating left and to right, almost as though you've rotated time away entirely relative to your other observer. And um, So Matt, we, we should just rename this show Stone. Okay. I don't think it's fair it's that we're not stoned. It is hit. It is happening it is. in front of our there eyes, a, Matt. A, yeah. <laughs> there is a beautifully related question as well on this note from. Um, wait, 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 Matt. I just gotta like. I just gotta wrap something. Wrap my head around what what Jana just yeah. said. So Jana, so what you're saying is you use left right as a as an interesting analog to this. What you're saying is mm -hmm. when you are yeah. in the moving faster in the vicinity of a black hole your time coordinate is, uh, let's use the term rotate, rotates in such a way that it's giving of itself to this, a space coordinate. And That's right. So one is losing time like relative to the other. Exactly. And uh, just like you can rotate left all the way into right, at the edge of a black hole in particular, you've basically rotated your time away entirely. And in fact, when you cross the event horizon, what your friend far away thought was a region in space, a center of the black hole, is for you a direction in time. So you've rotated it completely 
by the time you cross your event horizon to the point where you think that the dire singularity at the center isn't a point in space at all. It's in your future. And it is as inevitable that you will crush into that singularity as the passage of time is inevitable. Wow. So you and can't that was a Roger Penrose result. That was Roger Penrose. Yeah, he, yeah. Yeah. Actually, I wrote this little article after he won the Nobel Prize for that beautiful work in 1965 for Pioneer Works broadcast, actually, because we do this series called Picture This, where you draw... We scientists write about technical articles, like technical drawings. And Roger Penrose has the most wonderful drawing that he drew in this 1965 paper where he shows basically time starting to move in a spatial direction. He shows that rotation. And he proves that at the event horizon, what's happened is basically um, time is starting to point inward towards the black hole. It's quite so I love beautiful. the I, and, and I love the left-right starter analogy there. You know what that reminds me? So Matt, you ever hear this joke? It's it's funny. It says so. Someone says, "Well, two two wrongs don't make a right, right?" But then you can say, "But three rights make a left." <laughs> okay. You ever try that? <laughs> just try it. Make three left turns. You just turned right. It's, it's just if nice. you do the do the geometry on that, it works out. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. Jana, thanks for that answer. I think we should rebrand this uh, for stoners, a.k.a. for stoners. <laughs> the stoner edition of Cosmic Queries. Yeah. Matt, keep, keep them coming. Well, so Frederick uh, Johansson um, asks, and this is related because you, you just told us about the difference of effects of both speed and gravity. Uh, Frederick wants to know, if I stand on the equator, my head would age less compared to, to my feet due to the speed difference. But would it? Wouldn't we have the opposite effect due to gravity? Uh, would my feet or head oh. age more in the end? So I, I believe he's asking that if he's standing yeah. standing on the globe, his head is moving faster than his feet because it's a, it's further out. But also his head is further away from mm -hmm. the gravitational center of the Earth than yeah. his feet. So do these two things both have an effect on the time perception of your head and your feet? I, and if so, do. Do, do they I would have cancel to, each other? I would have to actually do the calculation because both are yeah, pretty wins? tiny, right? But I can tell you that with <laughs> this, with like the GPS units, we see the effect of the time dilation when we send signals to satellites and back again, and they have two effects. Um, one is you're deeper in the gravitational potential. So, so let's say let's say we take the twins, like one astronaut that was in the ISS and the other twin astronaut who stayed on Earth the Kelly twins, um, which one actually was younger, the one who stayed on Earth uh, deeper in the gravitational potential well or the one who was traveling in very quickly in the ISS? And it's actually a known answer. I forget which one it was. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think the speed of the um, ISS out, uh, dominates over being on the Earth in that case. I'm pretty sure. Okay. However, with GPS satellites... Mm -hmm. The the fact that it is they are much farther away mm -hmm. from Earth than the International Space Station mm -hmm. that they experience much much less strength of gravity, mm -hmm. which speeds up their time relative to us, mm -hmm. and so their time that they send us is pre-corrected right. to accommodate the fact that their clocks tick faster. Right. So right, Janet, you have to do the math right because yeah. there are two competing effects, yeah. and to know for yeah, sure. But I agree with you. Everything I know about. The, the the orbiting astronauts, mm -hmm. which are in low Earth orbit rather than middle Earth orbit. Uh -huh. Matt, it's not middle Earth, like, yeah. you know. Right. Okay, just to be clear. <laughs> right. Orbit. It's a key word there. It's, it's not a basement, Neil. I'm not Earth. in a basement. It's, it's, it's uh, Leo, Mio, and Geo, <laughs> right? Low Earth orbit, middle Earth orbit, right. and geosynchronous orbit. Right. So they, um, when you do the math there, the, the lower gravitational field wins out over what effect their speed has on their timekeeping. So, oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah interesting. So thinking about the GPS, we could also think about how if we didn't correct for the time dilation, we would never be able to catch our Uber because it wouldn't, it wouldn't be in the right location. And I learned this from Neil recently. <laughs> that <laughs> no. it's actually <laughs> the rotation of the Earth that's the issue. That uh that if the satellite in a let's suppose we lost a second, if the correction was never made and the error accumulated up to 
let's say a second, then if you consider how quickly the earth is rotating and that the grid would be changing, you would find that we could be off by several blocks. So, um, so you'd be trying to catch your Uber, you know, in Chinatown and it would be in little Italy. <laughs> Which is Story of five, my six blocks my away. Uber's never these are adjacent, <laughs> these are adjacent uh, communities in lower Manhattan, little Italy. Yes, they're adjacent neighborhoods. Right. Yes, yes, yeah. they are. For those who, who are not native to the city. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, more Cosmic Queries, Stoner Edition with Jan Eleven. We're talking about black holes, uh, cosmology, and the space-time continuum. And I got Matt Christian to help me. We'll be right back. Back, third and final segment of Cosmic Queries, Black Holes and Space-Time Continuum Edition, which we are dubbing Cosmic Queries Stoner Edition, based on the <laughs> answers we've been getting and what kind of state of mind we have to be in to even follow them, much less understand them. So, Jana, again, it's always good to have you here. Your 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 last two books. So, one of them was the Black Hole Blues, uh, <laughs> published by was that at Knopf? Uh, Alfred, yeah, Alfred by Knopf. Knopf. Is that mm -hmm. right? Yeah. 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 Black hole blues. Why? I didn't know black holes had emotional states. <laughs> well, the people who were searching for black holes had emotional states. Oh, no. <laughs> they had the black hole blues. They had the oh, black hole blues. Oh, I got you. So, so this is a story of black holes in our field of astrophysics and yes. the relationship we have to them. Got it. Got it. And more recently, you have a, a book called The Black Hole Survival Guide, which is like a pocketbook, fits right in your coat pocket. And yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, how, how useful did you, how soon do you think such a book will be useful where everyone has to have one? Yeah, they have to have a survival guide. Uh, well, I hope not very soon at all, but um, okay. we, are, we are in orbit. But for the sake of the sales of your book. <laughs> well, the sales of your let's, book. Let's stoke some worry in the public. Uh, <laughs> I have it's now. sort of a. I have a spoiler alert. Uh, it doesn't end well. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> the survival guide doesn't go well. Um, All right. So, it's pretty much many ways to die. We'll keep a copy of this in our in our go in our go bag, right? When you, yeah. when you disaster strikes. So don't you have a book titled Death by Black Hole? I've always wanted to steal that title from you. Oh, Death by Black Hole. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I do. It's one. So that's, that title is the title of one chapter in a book that goes a lot of right, different it's, places. Right, it was this collection okay. of essays, as I remember. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. On all manner of things in the universe. That's yeah, right. so it, um, the, the survival guide recently, could also be called like Death by Black Hole. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. It's how to not. So it's the non-survival guide. If it's yeah. death by black hole. <laughs> all right, Matt. What more do you have for us? Well, I've got. I'm, I'm going to turn this to some black hole survival questions because we've got a few and uh, and they're great. So from the Czech Republic, uh, Patreon patron Jindrik uh, Prokupek. I hope I've got that close to correct. Asks you. I read that black holes are almost zero Kelvin inside. Why are they so cold and not very hot due to a high pressure caused by enormous gravity forces and lack of heat escape? And I is there a temperature question. gradient between a black hole center and its event horizon? And what's zero K anyway, Jana? Oh, it, it, literally it just means particles are so cold. They have so little energy that they're just not moving. It's as though, you know, when we experience temperature, what we're really experiencing uh, experiencing is the collection of atoms moving at a certain rate and a certain speed on average, and that creates the temperature. And the faster that they're moving, the hotter it feels, um, and the slower they're moving, the colder they are. And it is true, there's an expression, PV equals NKT, that you know, in highly pressured situations, the temperature can go up. And uh, right, that's the that's the thing. I the the level of physics that I understand, like a bicycle pump gets hotter if you uh and it. If you if you spray one of those compressed air canisters, they get cold because you're a uh... yeah, exactly. Well, Jenna, I can't believe you wrote it on the chalkboard. <laughs> I, I, I love that Jenna's in front of her. The people who are audio only are not aware that Jenna is. In, is you look like you're posing for a professor photograph right now. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> 
what were we talking about? Oh, we, we were talking oh, about so the, we, the compression. Matt was sharing his life experience that in, in a bicycle pump, you because um, uh, he's living in his parents' basement. He doesn't own a car; he just has a bicycle. So in his bicycle pump, the valve gets hot. All I've got is compressed air to keep me happy. Right, and a spray can as the spray, as the air releases, yeah. the nozzle feels cold. So so the that pressure cool. can heat up. Or 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 right. cool it depending on which way it's right. going. So so what's right. happening inside a black hole? Is is is, is the person right about um, it being zero? No, uh, it's but they're not right for a very interesting reason. Um, so we know that as the core of a remnant star, what's left after it goes through some very violent throws at the end of its life, um, continues to collapse and is in fact extremely dense and probably absolutely uh, an unusual, extraordinary, exceptional state of matter. We know that because we see neutron stars, which aren't even black holes. They're a step on the way to black holes. They don't quite make it there. And we know that they're incredibly unusual um, in terms of their composition. But once it makes it to be the black hole, so it has created a curve in space-time that is so sharp that we know not even light can escape. That's what we mean by the event horizon. And you might think, therefore, the event horizon of the black hole is full of dense stuff, but it's not actually, because the star can no more sit there than it can expand outward at the speed of light. You can almost think of space-time as like a waterfall raining into the black hole, and it would have to swim against the waterfall just to stay at the event horizon. And it can't do this, so it just continues to get dragged in with the waterfall of space-time. And, you know, this is the great mystery. What happens to the star? We don't know. But it's gone. The star is gone. So black holes are cold because they're empty. So if I go up to the event horizon of a black hole, nothing's there. There's no dense object. There's nothing solid. The it's empty space. So I like to say, you know, and I've said this, I'm sure, on your show before, black holes are more like a place than they are a thing. They're like a place in the universe, but there's really not, no matter left. But you can measure the gravity that it has, right? So yeah. something's got to be there. Yeah, that's right. It has gravitational energy in the curvature of the space-time. There is energy in the curvature of the space-time. That is a gravitational energy. So, it, it, you know, it's often really hard to define gravitational energies, but in the case of a black hole, I can actually have a well-defined mathematical prescription for measuring its gravitational energy, and it happens to equal, not surprisingly, the mass of whatever fell into it. So it, it's Whoa. as though the matter, like, throws its heft into the gravitational imprint, but you don't, but the stuff is gone. Now, there's another question you could ask about temperature, which is about the Hawking radiation. So at the event horizon, we do think that it, through this very subtle quantum process, black holes do have a temperature, actually, and they are radiating, actually. But the bigger the black hole, the colder they are. And the smaller they are, the hotter they are. So they have, they're very cold. They live their lives absorbing things, not emitting. But at the end, you know, in very, very far, far, far future of the universe, those black holes will eventually evaporate away and the final stages will be explosive. Yeah, in fact, if I remember correctly, the original paper mm -hmm. that described this phenomenon by Hawking mm -hmm. uh, explained these as that they would be bursts of high energy gamma radiation because yeah. they right at that last moment right. would be at its hottest right. and yeah. very hot things uh, emit gamma rays. Exactly. And so it's interesting. Yeah, so, you know, uh, if, you, if you are foolish enough to try to make a black hole in the laboratory, <laughs> it will explode <laughs> on you because the smaller they are, the more unstable they are. And you can kind of figure out, like, how big would it be if it was, like, kind of a stick of dynamite versus what you're describing gamma rays or nuclear weapon grade. And, um, mm -hmm. and uh, you, so you're kind of ill-advised to make a small black hole. <laughs> but if you do, you should start with a bigger one just, to, just for safety. <laughs> well, then you're going to fall in. So you got it. You know, it's a real... So I tried to... Uh, wow, what a trade-off that is. Oh, and, and Earth, it could suck in the Earth. So, yeah. yeah, that would ruin your day. That would ruin yeah. a lot of days, people's days. <laughs> so, we can't, so, Janet, we can't call a black hole an area of nothing if it contains the severe curvature of the space-time continuum, because that is something. Yeah, is um, I guess, right, that's fair. We can say, 
um, what do we really mean by nothing? Man, notice how she didn't say it was right. She just said it was fair. Like, <laughs> no, no. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. Space-time is something, and space-time has energy. It's space a thing. Space-time moves, and it's a thing. And in that and, sense, it's a thing. But it's okay. also, by definition, space, which is a place. <laughs> I'll, I'll take that yeah. they very much act like things. Black holes move around. They, they orbit. They can fall together. They can collide, you know. But when we talk about the size of a black hole, we're talking about a shadow. That's all we're talking about. We're talking about a shadow, like the shadow of a tree. And there's nothing there. No matter. Well, while we're talking about matter, so uh, listen to Gonz- Gonzalo Castilla mm-hmm. uh, from Mexico ask, and uh, Gonzalo uh, mentions black matter. I'd imagine this is uh, what we would also call dark matter, unless yeah, there probably. are two different mm-hmm. things. Yeah. No, I think it's probably dark. So right? I, I'll say dark matter for this. I'd imagine that's a that's a language mm-hmm. thing. Um, but if dark matter can interact gravitationally with normal matter, uh, it is attract is it it is attracted and eaten by a black hole, just like normal matter, mm-hmm. right? What happens with the dark matter as the black hole evaporates? Could there be a black, a dark matter version of Hawking radiation, or it only radiates normal matter, and a black hole has some sort of mechanism that transforms this dark matter into normal matter? So, Jana, that's a really interesting question. Oh my gosh! But as we're running short on time, can you like soundbite that answer? Is that possible? Yeah, um, absolutely. The black hole will figure out how to radiate uh, all of the information that went into it, if this works. So that includes. Um, dark matter information, so that the fact that it was dark would would come out in principle. Everything comes okay, out. Okay, so so, we so know- Hawking radiation, that calculation does not discriminate between ordinary matter or dark matter or any other kind of matter. Nope. It can be electrons and positrons. It can be light coming out in the Hawking radiation. It can be dark matter pairs, pairs of dark matter. And particles. that assumes, so everything you said assumes that dark matter is actually comprised of matter and not some other mystical substance. Right. right. Okay. Right. And there are people who think that black holes themselves might be uh, enough to explain the missing mass and the dark matter. Um, yeah, I'm not among so them. So that's yeah, not I'm a not, particle not answer at all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, Matt, keep coming. All right. So Dylan, there's a couple of faster than light questions. So Dylan asks, um, I've heard a lot about wormholes on this show and have a question. How would we open up a wormhole? I know as of right now they're impossible, but hypothetically speaking, what steps are taken? How much energy would it take? And could we just use a black hole? How do we cut space time? Yeah, Janet, we're uh, waiting for this. And why aren't you giving us the black the, the wormhole? We're so disappointed. <laughs> I know. I'm busy. I'm <laughs> I'm gonna do it in the future and then come back. Oh, that's <laughs> I'm gonna do it later. Good answer. <laughs> Good answer. Matt, that reminds me of during the science march, which is sad that in the United States we needed a march to defend science. Uh, back several years ago, one of the placards oh. said, um, what do we want? Time machine. When do we want it? It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. Um, I think MIT once scheduled a, a time traveler conference uh, for the previous year. <laughs> so they were like... Let's meet in 2019 <laughs> and have a time traveler conference. Nobody showed up. Nope, yeah, time travelers <laughs> didn't show up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can tell you this about the wormhole. We absolutely, on paper, know how to make a wormhole. So basically what you do is you, you, you write down the shape of the space-time you want, namely a wormhole shape, and then you force matter and energy to create it. And you ask then, well, what does the distribution of matter and energy have to be to create this shape? So you can go backwards. Um, and 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 deduce what kind of matter and energy would be required. The problem is, is we, it requires negative energies, and that's not something we see in our ordinary experience. Everything has positive energies. Negative energies are, are super weird. We some people think that they're forbidden in nature. The one circumstance in which you can get negative energies is in some strange quantum situations. I've actually wondered about this. Could we create where you have um, like finite spaces made out of uh, metals and the quantum uh, oscillations or the quantum vibrations create a certain negative energy between like these strange geometric configurations. So you need the energy, and, the negative uh, energy to, to pry open a hole that would otherwise on its own want to collapse and just make a black yeah, hole, it, I guess. Yeah, it just wants to keep pinching closed. So th- that sounds really dangerous to enter one of these because suppose you're in one and then it collapses mm-hmm. on you. That's a bad day. 
That would be right there. Really yeah. Okay, so we're nowhere near this now, even though you can make it happen on paper. Yeah, I mean, you know, people like Kip Thorne, they were writing down wormhole solutions decades ago, and they just looked around and said, well, we don't see any matter like that in the universe. Mm, mm. So we got to go back to the drawing board and think of a new mm. way. Okay, so just because something is mathematically possible doesn't mean the universe is going to cooperate. That's really what right. comes, that comes down to. There's other time machines that we know we can make. We can take two cosmic strings, which are literally strings of energy, tension, and energy density, and cross them in a very funny way that creates a kind of cut in space-time that allows you to do a little time travel jig. But the problem is, is they have to be infinitely long and take an infinite amount of energy. So there's never anything that seems compatible with the universe that we live in. Mm. And even Kurt Gödel first... When, who was friends with Einstein, used to walk to the Institute for Advanced Study with him in the mornings to talk. And he was inspired by Einstein's work. And he wrote down a description of a hypothetical universe that was rotating, uh, not our universe. And he showed that you could travel in time in these, this peculiar space he invented. Um, and Einstein didn't dispute it. It was correct mathematically. But we just don't live in those kinds of... Okay, so just reality. admit it, Janet. All we really need is 1.21 gigawatts energy, okay? That's really all we need. Just admit it. I, yeah. I believe it's pronounced gigawatts. Oh, gig, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Jen, I think we got to call it quits there. Uh, we ran out of time. Ah, uh, oh, shame. It's always so fun. Yeah. Okay. So, so Matt, yeah. with your permission, and, and with, uh, with uh, I don't want to call it the stoner edition unless we have total buy-in from the three of us. Is we gonna can we, can we call that? <laughs> I'm fine calling it the stoner edition. But anybody who knows me knows if I'm stoned, I'm asleep. Okay. It's synonymous. Stoning equals sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and anyone who knows me knows I have a green card. And uh <laughs> That's right. Northern Europeans have green cards too. <laughs> <laughs> I have a green card, which means I can't get the other kind of green card. But, uh... So we're good here. So, uh, Janet, thanks for coming back to Star Talk. It's always good to have you. And so, uh, and and continued good luck with the. And it's not luck; it's your talent that helps make uh, Pioneer Works what it has been and what it will continue to grow to become. So, uh, keep Thank that you going so there. Much, and Matt yeah. and I are still waiting for our invitation to be something other than in your audience. <laughs> <laughs> now I can't wait. Uh, oh, are you going to get an invitation? You got it. Right, Matt, always good to have you, dude. Lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. This has been Star Talk Cosmic Queries, Black Hole Space Time Continuum, which we dub the Stoner Edition. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. Keep looking up. Ah!